Hello and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast. As always, I'm Blue Boyle and I'm your host. This is season four, episode six. Today we're going to be talking about kitchen table and parallel polyamory in theory and practice. So I know that we talked about these topics in season one, um, but that was very much a like, let's talk about this in an opinionated way with uh, some guests and kind of chat about it. And today I'm going to talk about it in a more sort of theoretically oriented way. Um, basically, it's been sort of a week on the internet uh, hearing people talk about different polyamory topics. And one of the ones that's come up over and over again on different forums this week as I've been looking at things and spending too much time seeing what people are discussing uh, is people talking past each other about what they think different terms for relationship structures mean. And while obviously I'm not like an authority from on high coming down to like rain a final decision on what these terms mean upon you, uh, I'd also like to maybe explain why I think certain terms should get defined certain ways in a way that might give people some clarity and maybe at least prevent the few of you who are on my podcast from arguing right past people by going, no, that term can't mean this because I don't like that kind of relationship, but it sounds like you're having a perfectly good time. Uh, then again, I think the folks who listen to this podcast know that regardless of what works for us personally, you can make pretty much any choice within the realm of polyamory so long as you're honest with your partners and they're honest with you. So uh, we'll see as we go. That said, uh, let's get into a little bit of an overview of kitchen table polyamory and parallel polyamory and some of the sort of sub-styles of relationships that fall within each of those categories. Because um, as I like to say, uh, kitchen table polyamory and parallel polyamory are both umbrella terms for types of relationship. And then there's several different ways of practicing each of them, some of which have names. Now, the original uh, kitchen table polyamory concept name came from a Kimchi Cuddles comic where uh, they defined it as being a polyamorous relationship where everyone could sit around the kitchen table and have a cup of coffee together, you and all of your metas and all of you know, your partner and your other partner and all of their metas and whatever, right? The whole polycule could sit down together, have a cup of coffee, and everyone would be fine. Um, and they presented this in opposition to parallel polyamory where you don't spend time together. This original definition um, has been expanded on in a ton of ways by a lot of people, both in sort of theoretical and practical ways to cover a variety of styles going from sort of extremely entangled polyfidelitous groups and like communal living styles all the way to uh, what the multi-amory podcast is trying to popularize, calling garden party polyamory, but what I've also heard called birthday party polyamory or cocktail party polyamory, right? And that sort of half-ish of the spectrum of relationships is all under the kitchen table polyamory umbrella. And then you move into the like half of the spectrum that's parallel from, again, that sort of garden party mixed network you see your metas very occasionally at events uh out to the don't ask don't tell end of the spectrum through a whole bunch of permutations in between and we're going to talk about a lot of these permutations as we go but just to give an overview right now for full disclosure um part of what inspired me to get into teaching about non-monogamy was that for many years it felt like all of the polyamorous sort of authorities or books or resources were treating kitchen table like it was the be-all end-all goal of how to be non-monogamous and in fact there were more people that I knew operating in ways that were somewhere on the spectrum of parallel or partially siloed or you know, you didn't have to be best friends and be working toward a goal of all enmeshing your lives at all times uh, to be doing polyamory, right? And yet it seemed like 
a lot of the sort of texts and treatises were making it seem like that was the final goal of polyamory was to be um, combining your lives, your metas lives, and to be moving to a commune somewhere or like setting up a hobby farm with them. No shade to my uh, communally oriented uh, various non-monogamous friends, but like it just isn't for everyone in a very definitive way. And I've seen so many people do relationships that are some degree of parallel and do them well. And so in the mid sort of 2010s, I was like, wait, why is everyone acting like the ultimate goal of polyamory is always to move your entire polycule onto one plot of land and then work off of it? It's not It's not the 70s and we don't need to recreate Carista with everyone's polycule. Um, and so with that bias exposed, let's talk a little bit about my thoughts about the various styles of uh, polyamory, which basically boil down to any of these can be done in a pretty healthy manner. Although I think the ones on the opposite ends of the spectrum are the hardest to do in a healthy manner. So like the most extreme on the kitchen table end and the most extreme on the parallel end are the hardest to manage to do ethically. So to be truly attempting a like communal, um, merged lives, merged everything situation is the hardest to manage um, on the kitchen table end. And in the book, um, I ended up calling that the communal style of kitchen table polyamory because, frankly, it was the closest way to explain it I could think of, right? Like, because the oldest examples are those like 70s and 80s communes. But in fact, things where you get, um, you know, a medium to large polyfidelitous group trying to run their life together, or even a small polyfidelitous group running their life together communally, you end up in the position where you have to really be in agreement about everything all of the time and that's what makes it hard <laughs> to try to run because like as adult humans that's just hard to maintain everyone's consent on consistently um, and it becomes a situation where it's easier for one party or another to have a stronger personality and potentially an outsized influence on another party um it's just that thing where um, it's hard to find healthy and unproblematic experiences where you mix in things like including people's livelihoods in the way you set it up, which often truly communal experiences try to do. Um, but yeah, so I don't have a nice, clear, uh, here's an example for you of like a really healthy version of that. And everybody's got at least one example of the sort of big polyfidelist group that tried to pull this off and fell apart. So we'll leave that one be. But the next level of like kitchen table with lots of extra agreements, uh, which there have been a couple of podcasts sort of explaining different terms <laughs> that are getting popular, including Multiamory did one. Uh, where they called, they were mentioning garden party polyamory, and they mentioned this one as lapsitting polyamory, which I thought was hilarious, um, mostly because it gives such a vivid mental image of what these relationships are like. Uh, the idea that it's the kind of polycule where you're expected to be close enough to your metas that you can cuddle. And like, Maybe that's not the literal extra that you're being asked to accept, but this idea that, like, there's a bunch of extra provisos, a few little details that are added on top of a standard, you can have a chat over a cup of coffee, um, 
But think about adding extra little details to your agreements beyond like being able to spend some time together in a friendly way is that that can cover great experiences like being expected to make surprises happen for hinge partners and um, be have social support and all of that good stuff happen in a group. Um, but it can also cover really bad experiences like unicorn hunters where people have this like mental template of how the relationship is expected to go show up to the relationship with this complete mental template and you're expected to just buy into the completed template and they're not ready to negotiate it with you. Right. So the difference in this style between a healthy and an unhealthy version is essentially how much, uh, negotiation power is given to every member of the relationship, right? If not everyone entering into it, if not every new party gets an equal say in sort of negotiating or renegotiating the terms of their relationship, if not every relationship in a network is equally autonomous and powerful as every other, you end up in a place where someone is... uh, left underserved by the situation. That's not to say that you can't negotiate hierarchy into such a situation ethically. It's just that the person has to walk in with their eyes open and agree to it, right? They can't be told, you know, like they can be told, take it or leave it and then leave it. But they can't not be told to get into a relationship and then a month in be told, wait, but now you're secondary. Didn't you know that? (laughs) Um, And unfortunately, that's a lot of the stereotype of what happens with like unicorn hunting is that they just go, well, but this is how relationships work. So you should know this is the relationship and how you're doing it. Um, I don't know if I'm explaining that super clearly, but I'm trying. (sighs) But yeah. In general, in an overall sense, kitchen table polyamory is this sense that you are working to create relationships where the interrelationship of a network and the integration of multiple romantic relationships into sort of one life or one group is prioritized, right? So close relationships between metas is sort of more strongly encouraged. And when the ways that you do that encouragement or the kinds of interrelationship that you want are the extras that I'm talking about. So anything that's beyond like, let's make sure we hang out and have fun is the stuff that become those extras. When I teach my Beyond the Kitchen Table class, I ask people to raise their hands and give examples of what they think is included in a kitchen table relationship. And invariably, you get some people around the room like shaking their heads at other people's examples. Or you get people saying, well, I don't know if I agree with this, but I was once in a relationship where... And then they give an example of something that they were told was necessary to be kitchen table. Um, And it varies from sort of everyday things like, you know, coming to a polycule potluck every so often to things that are a little less usual, like being expected to be willing to have sex with their metamors, for example, without necessarily being in their own independent relationship with them. And, like, some people are comfortable with that, and that's fine. I've been in relationships where I was friends with my metas, and we were comfortable with that, and that happened. But, like, I've also been in relationships where I wasn't close with my metas. The hinge tried to push that, and that's what ended the relationship. Like, my relationship with the hinge or their relationship with the hinge. Because, like, that's really boundary pushing. 
for lots of people. Um, and so sometimes these sort of potential extras can happen in a situation where it's like one person's idea of what this means is very different from another's. And I think I just want to make it clear that not everyone's definition of what this word or phrase means is the same thing. So some people think of being kitchen table as just like, well, we can hang out once in a while and I'm not put off by being in the same room or by my partner being like huggy with them while I'm there or like acknowledging that my partner has a relationship with them. And I don't mean acknowledging like in the sense of saying the words, but acknowledging like in the sense of seeing them involved in PDA or like being in the same space as them being actively in a relationship, which can be an emotionally different experience for people. And I think most polyamorous people kind of get over whatever knee-jerk reaction they have to that at first, if they do have one, because we, many of us, in coming from the culture that we live in outside, um, have a certain amount of knee-jerk reaction to that to start. So there is um, a certain amount of getting over that that people have to do, or people do the thing where like they have personal set-up coping mechanisms for how they deal with things until they're more comfortable later. And for some people, that involves being extremely friendly with their metas. They do the, like, let me make sure I get to know you. I make sure that I know you're human, that you and I are on a level. And for other people, it involves taking more distance until they're comfortable with seeing the relationship happening with their partner. And then they go, oh, you're a good relationship for this person that I care about. Now I can reach out to you. And for others, it's neither, and it's just whether or not they mesh with the person. And all of this really is both a matter of personal boundaries and personal preferences. You don't owe anyone an additional relationship with your metas. Like, we're all adults and we're all busy the time frame in which I had tons of time to be super friendly with my metas was when I was really young and really social in big outgoing social groups where the majority of my time outside work was spent being like an outgoing social life person. Like my life revolved around being the person who organized social events for this group of friends I was in. Um, and, you know, 22 year old me seeing my life now, I think would be very confused. Um, <laughs> not because I don't have close friends, because I do, I have about the same number of really close friends, but because I don't have nearly as many of the like, what early 20s me called party friends, the people who you see just a little. And the thing was, I was friendly with all of my metas, but all of my metas pretty much, well, no, not all of them, but a majority of them were party friends, right? They were the people who I was happy to be social with. It was great to spend a little time with them, but they were not like my personal besties. They were people someone else picked who I could have a decent conversation with. And, like, that's fine if that's where your comfort level is and where their comfort level is. But if you know that that's where um, the, like, overlap of both being liked by the same person sort of necessarily leaves you. I mean, it's not necessary, but if that's sort of the level that is guaranteed so you can be civil or a tiny bit better with pretty much anyone then that's all you need to be. You don't owe anyone better than, like, emergency contact. And that's why I think destigmatizing uh, parallel relationships or not treating it like parallel relationships are a consolation prize is really important. Basically, parallel polyamory is 
these relationships where you're not trying to focus on everyone being super focused on the um the interrelationship of the of the different romantic relationships instead each relationship exists largely independent of either partner's additional romantic or sexual relationships there's not an intentional focus on sort of entwining your relationship network it doesn't say anything in particular about your relationships with your metamors or your telomores or anyone in the wider relationship constellation. So like right now I'm perfectly friendly with my metas, but we don't like hang out. And I actually text with my telomores more than my metamores at this point. Um, just because we're like, friendly from additional contexts outside of being in a polycule and that suits me pretty well but like because we're a sort of on the border of parallel and kitchen table polyamory we occasionally do activities together in like big group ways but mostly we don't make a big effort to like, let's get the gang together all the time. Um, so we're not trying to create higher levels of entanglement. And there's sometimes some sort of relational or emotional distance. And that's okay because there isn't in the actual individual romantic relationships that are going on. And if any of us have an actual issue, we've got enough point of contact that we can, like, text each other or call each other up instead of triangulating through our partners. And so, there are many kinds of parallel polyamory, and they can be healthy or unhealthy, just like kitchen table polyamory can be healthy or unhealthy. Like the health of the relationship and how entangled it is are orthogonal traits. They're not, you can't plot them against each other and create a line, right? There isn't an obvious pattern. It's just a question of what do we want to focus on as the places we want to put effort in the relationships because really it's the same amount of emotional work to be polyamorous no matter what style you pick in my humble opinion um which style of polyamorous you are currently basically moves the emotional labor around it doesn't get rid of it there i want to do like a law of conservation of matter but we'll call it the conservation of emotional labor um, you can sort of pick a relationship style that pushes some of the work from person to person, um, but you can't make it go away. It's the same amount of work in a given network to have the same conflicts and interactions, right? You're all going to have similar feelings and interactions no matter how you structure your relationships, you'll put off some conflicts and create new ones. Um, and within parallel polyamory, I think people hear the word parallel and think of really strict siloing. Like they imagine a don't ask, don't tell relationship, which is the like most extreme, hardest to make healthy. I'm not sure I've ever seen an actual healthy example of don't ask, don't tell. I'm not sure it exists, um, <laughs> where like you never speak of your other partners, uh, and maybe they have a way to get in contact with your partner at home, like if you have one for emergency purposes, but that's it. And that's the bare minimum, uh, or bare maximum. I don't know. 
but really, I think we're all in pretty strong agreement that that's not, that's not the only thing you can do as a parallel relationship. You then have an entire spectrum of sort of siloed but not don't ask, don't tell relationships where the questions become questions about people's boundaries, right? It's about how often do they actually want to spend time with people? Is it that they don't want to do so because of distance or because of emotional issues where something about the other person or their behavior is triggering or where it's a personality conflict or is it just a matter of they're busy and so they only really have enough time in their schedule to put the amount of work into this relationship that is keeping the relationship running at a sort of bare minimum of what it needs and so they're not going to expend extra effort in doing sort of care and feeding of your other partners um and that's a boundary that folks are allowed to have and if your other partners need to sort of know them for their own needs a lot of the time people are willing to do a like well I'm happy to meet them once but they can't expect me to maintain a whole relationship and that's fine and true right? Nobody actually owes anyone even that first meeting. But I think in the years that I've been doing this, most people out of politeness will do a single meeting and will go, hey, look, I only do the one because I feel like one meeting to be like, I'm human, hi, is fine. And then they back the heck off. Um... (laughs) And as someone who has been in a lot of parallel relationships of varying kinds, I think most people who want to be in them are pretty understanding of that. There's a lot of pressure from people who are very kitchen table um, to sort of bow to the idea that kitchen table is better and that being parallel is like a personal attack on the metas who you're not getting to know as well. And that's really unfortunate because it's pretty much never a personal thing. Occasionally, it's a matter of not getting along. I've had at least one time where a relationship like went parallel suddenly because Uh, Meta decided they had a personal problem uh, without wanting to actually talk it out and decided that it had to go hard parallel for a while. But, like, that's very rare. I've had it happen once in 15 years. Versus most of the time, it's more like they looked at the sort of boundary questions of, like, these are, like, questions to ask yourself of like, do they mind interacting one-on-one with their meta for short periods of time? And they said, well, I kind of mind. And I don't mind hanging out in small groups, but only once in a while. And large groups are fine, but I only really want to do large groups for this relationship or this partner like three to six times a year anyway. You know, they've seen the uh, Ho Depot TikToks and they've gone, look, we're only on the silver plan. So, <laughs> and like, it's pretty valid to be like, hey, we're in a relationship where I only have time to see you, partner, like, once a month. I don't want to make twice as much time as that to see your other partners if that's somebody's point of view right like it's equally valid for them to say oh partner I can get extra time with you because your other partners also want to do an activity that I also enjoy right so if it turns out that you're all super into LARPing or like everybody really enjoys I don't know what's a less nerdy hobby that 
polyamorous might be into. My immediate thoughts were D&D and LARPing, but these are just my people. Um, <laughs> I don't know, crafts or something. Um, <laughs> quick, somebody feed me a non-nerdy hobby. Wait, there's no one here to hear me worry about this. Um, where, like, you know, everybody joins a class or something together. And that could be really cool. But I could also see going, uh, I don't want to commit to that right now. I'd rather sign up to do something with you, partner, at another time. Or, partner, can you and I make one-on-one -on -one time at another time instead? And it's equally valid, right? Like, there's just no real harm in that. And I think there's also the issue of what's the level of intimacy of the interaction, right? Like, like I said, I've had tons of sort of party friend metamors where I can tell a story about them using my friend as a fill-in for their name and I have a nice time when I talk to them, but they're not who I'd call if I'm having an existential crisis. And like, or really at all unless my crisis was my hinge partner. Um, and so it's nice to know them, to humanize them, and to not have that sort of awkwardness or fear, because I build them up in my head as someone sort of better than me, you know, more sociable or prettier or whatever. Um, but it's... It's just not, it's not necessary to meld lives always to get that benefit. The sort of downside of trying to be parallel is that people's boundaries in response to these questions or people's preferences in response to these questions that inform their boundaries don't always line up at the same point on this spectrum. Because this is all fuzzy social stuff, right? And it's all stuff that fluctuates with time. Like, if one person is glad to see the other at a party every couple of months, or more often during the winter holiday season when they're, like, sort of girding their loins to go out into the world and be social constantly anyway, um, it's very different than being comfortable in small groups often. Like, that class example that I gave... Like, there have definitely been metas who I'm very willing to see, you know, bi-weekly from Halloween to New Year's, but n wouldn't be happy to, like, play a D&D campaign with. But I would argue that both of those things fall into the same category of closeness, so we could feel like we had the same level of comfort with each other but have different answers about which things we want to do. So it takes some delicate negotiation between the people in question to determine how to handle a situation where like for example one meta and the hinge partner want one version of this level of interaction and the other meta wants a version where like you only see each other for birthdays and holidays so you know, if the one meta and the partner want um, to do, like, being in the D&D game, for example, and the other only wants birthdays and those winter holidays, but it's over a similar period of time and it's the same number of total days, but it's a very different context and, you know, so you all disagree, what do you do? this feeling of there being two on one can be very awkward. So it requires sort of strong boundary holding by the person who has a different answer than the other two and good emotional intelligence on the part of the hinge to manage not putting the person in that two on one position if they can help it. And like the other possible big fit pitfall is of course, if the hinge wants their two partners to have a specific closer relationship that they don't want. Usually that happens when the hinge had hoped for a kitchen table relationship and doesn't get one. But, or 
when like there was a possibility of a triad that didn't happen or things like that. But most of the time people are pretty good at noticing that that is a situation and like handling that amongst themselves. If you're in a situation where that's not being handled well and you're feeling pressured to deal with it and like you need support, talk to other polyamorous people, admit that the situation is like emotionally unhealthy. Polyamorous people can be emotionally abusive and like we are not perfect. We screw up handling these things regularly and this is an awkward and difficult situation to deal with sometimes. And, like, all of those, I would argue, fall within that, like, still narrow parallel situation. Because with any of those things I was naming, you might still see somebody the equivalent of, like, once a month or more. And that's pretty often. Like, I have good friends I don't see that often. So it's not quite kitchen table because you're not, like aiming to move in together or anything and you're not like setting yourselves up to hang out right after you have a nice night with their partner but it's pretty similar but you get to that more firmly parallel kind of siloed relationship and you're like one step out from there where now your answers to the boundary questions are that you only want your metas to have exactly the information about you that they need to make informed decisions about sexual safety or like the background information they need to decide how strictly or closely parallel they want the relationships to be to sort of start going forward and like that you don't want to see them often and probably only at larger events or like only in passing and that you don't really want to hang out one-on-one And, like, that might be your preference in all cases, or just in one or two cases in the matter of a personality incompatibility. And, again, it's okay either way, and sometimes I feel like this is my preference about the world, um, because I'm tired, and I'm busy, and I'm chronically ill, And I hardly have time for my friends and making new friends as an adult is exhausting. And it sometimes feels like trying to exploit partners, especially new partners, networks for more new friends is just sort of setting yourself up for sadness later. So I try not to. Um, This has been Laura being vulnerable in the middle of a podcast. (laughs) But, um... But in general, at some point, I end up giving in and doing the like, okay, actually, we're going to at least try to be friends a little bit now thing at some point. And it usually lands more on that, like, mixed network garden party type situation. Oh, I skipped them. So garden party or birthday party or cocktail party polyamory all of these things are the same thing Um, all these terms are being popularized for the same kind of relationship is sort of its own thing that's in the middle between the two kinds of polyamory like between kitchen table and parallel and sort of not its own thing um, but also a description of networks that include some sections of kitchen table linked by some parallel relationships. Um, So it's named that way because everybody might be willing to hang out at sort of occasional large parties, like birthday parties or apparently garden parties, because I guess it's the 1920s and we're hosting those again. But basically, the idea is that in these networks where the relationship network can get very large, you're necessarily going to have a couple of parallel relationships in the mix in between smaller groups of kitchen table people. 
And this, in my experience, is absolutely true because you can very rapidly, when you have a couple of people like, for example, um, my partner and my partner has three partners and one of my metas has four. And so when you get to those, when you get to a couple of those people, you get up to very large polycules very quickly because like then out from them, all of us are then seeing additional people as well, or at least trying to. Um, so like our polycule is all of a sudden ginormous. Like just of the people who I have heard about or talked to in the last week and a half or so, there are 11 of us suddenly and... Uh, that's partly because I've started dating again, but still. <laughs> like, it was not nearly such a big group uh, like six months ago. So when you get that kind of growth, it's pretty easy to go, wait, when? <laughs> um, and like, I have good friends who host a nice big local poly potluck, and... I can never keep track of sort of who is officially in their polycule versus like just adopted in because like, for example, they will sort of forever describe me as in their polycule when I haven't been like, quote unquote, officially seeing either of them for, I guess it's three and a half years now, right? But I'm still part of their polycule to them. So they're like, you're in the group forever to them is like 40 or 50 people but the like who they're actually seeing is like eight <laughs> so it's it's hard when you get up in numbers like that to say that you're not going to have parallel sections or groups of people who aren't kitchen table uh, to consider in the middle of all of that um and then, like I was saying earlier, part of the advantage of considering how you want to conduct your relationships is identifying where you want to put your sort of will and effort into, right? So for me, I always find that it's more satisfying for me to make sure that I put my effort into being a partner rather than being a meta because it's what I'm better at. Um, and that might sound terrible. Like, it's not that I don't put effort into being a meta. Like, I'm currently making Christmas gifts for my metas. So it's not like I put zero effort in or anything. But, but I just put a lot of pride into being a very good partner. So... I try uh, very hard at that and I try to do my best at that so I don't set myself up to do a lot of like heavy lifting on the like let's be the best meta we can be front. But for me that actually means keeping my relationships right in the middle of that spectrum because if I go too far to either extreme that starts to involve needing to have really direct relationships with my metas to avoid triangulation. Um, because either if you're very kitchen table, you end up having to do a lot of direct work with your metas because you're very closely entwined with them. Um, or you end up leaning really hard on your partner to figure out what you're doing with them, and then that's no fun for anybody. Um, or you end up, when you're very parallel, having to either do a bunch of direct work with your metas to avoid triangulating or triangulating and dragging your partner into any possible small conflict you have with your meta, which is not fair to your partner, and creates a ton of work for them. And like, while I also don't like the idea of like, not giving your partner any work because they signed up for that to some extent in deciding to be a hinge of a parallel relationship. Um, 
it's still better to not triangulate just because that creates extra steps in communication. It doesn't solve problems as directly and it doesn't really help anyone get their needs met. Like you don't want to outsource a whole relationship to the hinge as a go-between because it creates undue strain on everyone. That's part of why don't ask, don't tell isn't really healthy. And even a total silo system you need to have emergency contact info and to be in enough contact and have enough sort of adulthood to be able to sit down with your meta if there's a major or a brand new issue. Really, everything is about respecting each other's boundaries because no one owes you more than civility and an emergency contact upon becoming involved with the same person as you. Some people would say that they don't even really owe you the emergency contact and like ability to sit down once and decide where you're going to be at. I would say that the only case where that doesn't apply is if the hinge also has other, like if they're the nesting partner and the hinge also has other nesting partners who you could reach out to so that they could triangulate or handle a true emergency in the place of the person who doesn't want to talk to you. Like, if you agree to nest with someone, you give up a pinch of autonomy to do so. Um, like, your place in a network does matter, even though your feelings and boundaries matter tons, too. You never owe someone a party, an activity, a relationship, or sex anymore because you're in a polycule with them than you would because you went out on a date with them. And essentially, that means that you don't owe anyone a relationship style that you don't want to have. So kitchen table polyamory is great when it works, right? When it works out, you can have really beautiful experiences where you feel super supported, where you have a great group bolstering you, where it feels like a chosen family that's helping you out, right? For me personally, my polyamorous chosen family is mostly in the form of friends who are of long standing, who are also polyamorous, who I'm not romantically involved with. But I simultaneously have had those relationships that have acted in that way for me, but not currently, right? Like, like my partner right now is amazing, but my current polycule is a little more parallel and a little bit less like the first person I'd call in an emergency. That said, they're still wonderful. The, um, the thing about parallel relationships is that they give you so much space to customize, so much space to respect your own needs, and so much space to say, look, this is what I really need out of this relationship. This is how I'm going to get it. I also want to respect what you want and need out of this relationship. Where is the overlap and how do we make this work? And you can do that with your partner, with their partners, and in total, in such a way that everybody ends up roughly where they want to be. Like, nobody actually has to be unhappy in this situation unless it turns out that, like, one person really wants a commune while everyone else wants to be parallel. And then uh, that's just a fundamental incompatibility and there was going to be a problem to begin with. So I don't think it's really that much of a loss in that case. I hope that my extended ramble and discussion on this clarified something. I was inspired by a post that was going around this week um, that had a lot of sort of lively discussion following it around the internet where the person who was posting had discovered that kitchen table polyamory was really what they needed but they hadn't sort of gotten any vocabulary to go with it. They'd just discovered that they finally had the relationship that they needed um, that was very intertwined with their metamors and that involved a lot of, like, everybody being willing to pull together and to potentially move in together and, like, to go on long vacations together and all of these things that they had never had offered to them before. 
and they were overjoyed about it and thought that it was the only good kind of polyamory and they hoped that everyone else would find exactly the same. And while I hope that everyone finds exactly what makes them happy, I think that there are a lot of paths to what will make you happy. And I hope that you sort of examine what it is that you need in your life to decide what it is that will make you happy. Because for some of you, it will be the same sort of kitchen table, deep entwining of lives that this woman was looking for. And for some of you, it will be relationships where you get to spend one-on-one -on -one time with a person who you love very much. And every once in a while, you have a party where they also have their other partners along. And their other partners are perfectly pleasant people who you can have a debate about a book that you think was great and they think was terrible with, right? Like, or maybe it'll be a movie. Maybe, like, they really hated the new Ghostbusters and you think it was awesome. But, um, with that in mind, I hope that this was all helpful to you. Um, I'm going to be continuing to argue with people on the internet about things like this. And, uh, I'll be posting on TikTok too much this holiday weekend, probably, although probably not too much on Thursday. Um, I hope you all have a lovely holiday weekend if you're in the States and a lovely regular weekend if you're anywhere else. If you're in the UK, um, I believe that there's a big polyamory, uh, forum on Saturday, uh, being run by some of my friendly acquaintances who are polyamory educators called Polyamory Day, which uh, is funny because the holiday Polyamory Day was on Tuesday. Um, and feel free to subscribe to all of my various things. The blog is at www.readyforpolyamory.com. You can follow me at Ready for Polyamory on Instagram, TikTok, and um, that's the address for the link tree as well, which has the links to literally everything else. The book is on Amazon, Ready for Polyamory, A Pragmatic Guide to Consensual Non-Monogamy. And uh, you can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash ready for polyamory. Have an amazing week. I will see you all next week.